Hello and welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy. Presented by Comedy Victoria and hosted by me, Luke Morris. This week we have Peter Jones. He's a stand-up comic who has been working for about 10 years uh, and he's written for television and done lots of comedy around, not just Australia but overseas. And he's making a bit of a living doing that now. Uh, this is going to be a great episode because Peter is a really engaging, friendly guy. As you'll hear, he's, he's free with both his laughs and his uh, advice, and it is good advice. He's someone who's gone from working and uh, getting involved in comedy regionally in Victoria to now doing comedy over in the UK fairly regularly with Edinburgh Fringe and hopefully many more gigs. So have a listen and see how that kind of career progress can occur and hopefully occur for you um it's a great interview here's peter jones great guy <laughs> i guess we'll start off with an easy question yep which is why did you get into comedy why did i get into comedy that isn't that is yeah, you'd think that would be an easy question. Yeah, I thought it was an easy <laughs> I thought there'd be some light bulb sort of, oh, I saw blah, blah on telly and I wanted to do that, but no? Um, I couldn't tell you exactly why. I, I just, I don't know. I actually don't know why it was that I wanted to do stand-up comedy because I did it, it was something that I always thought about doing when I was a kid, but I don't have a specific memory of what it was that prompted me to do it. I just, yeah. I remember all through high school, be, like writing jokes and being like, I want to give stand-up comedy a go. Yep, And I tried it one time when I was 19 and then was like, well, I didn't really know how to do a second gig. I just did Raw when I was like 19. I was like, well, I don't know how to do it again. And oh, it was, so Raw was your first gig? Yeah. Uh, yeah, years ago. it was. Um, I did it one time in Sydney when I was 19 and then had, because it was kind of like before, it was well, it was before Facebook, it was before, I had no idea where to find another gig. Like I didn't yeah, know yeah. about open mics, didn't know anything. So I was just yeah. like, well, I guess I did it. I never, and just kind of put it in the back of my mind, but then didn't do it again for another 10 years. And I tried, when what I count as my first gig when I was 29. <laughs> what, what do you count that as your first gig? <laughs> I don't like, I don't like the idea of it being a 10 year gap between the oh. two. <laughs> <laughs> Having to add an extra 10 years to how long I've been doing comedy. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been at the game? Oh, yeah, yeah. Since I'm 19, but no, I've gotten better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a period there where, like, I just didn't do any comedy whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of us feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I, I was thinking there that it's just, uh, it almost sounded like you fell into comedy, but you had been writing as a kid. You just always found. Why yeah. was it about writing jokes then? Why, why did you even ha- feel... I've... Why did you feel that was worth writing down? Because I have that self-doubt. Not to say that you sh- shouldn't, but... <laughs> um, about I just have always, like... I guess it, pro- it probably was the writing side of it and then just wanting to be... Yeah. Just wanting to be funny was the other thing. I just loved being, like, at school. I really prided myself on being, like, the funny kid at school. <laughs> I was the only thing I just remember that when I was like a teenager, if I ever like a new person would come or meet the group, I always wanted them to walk away with the idea of like, I'm Pete or them me being introduced as, and there's Pete. 
the funny one. I was like, <laughs> that was all I wanted. But like everything else, I was like, <laughs> the characters from Friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And that one's the dumb one. He's the hot one. And this guy, he's the funny one. Oh, cool, Chan the Bing. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but I was just wondering. I was always just ever since I was like really little, I was writing. So. Um, I guess that was just a carryover from that, and this was a way to, uh, I don't know, uh, perform that writing. Well, not to, but I also suppose in a way, if you're saying that you wanted people to walk away thinking he's the funny one, mm. is that why you wanted to take that writing on stage? Because I mean, it seems like a, a, a big bow to pull, but like you want the world to think you're the funny one. You want more than just a few yeah. people in the schoolyard. You want the whole everyone in the audience. Yeah, I guess I guess that's that's probably true. That's probably part of it, where it's like, yeah, I want to, I, yeah, that same sort of thing where it's like, well, if all I wanted was like, I want you guys, I want whoever shows up to be like, oh, that guy's the funny one. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> that that's the case across everything. <laughs> I guess that's true. Where it's it's such a big part of my, uh, we're like, oh yeah, this is this is uh, my value is I want everyone to walk away from a gig being like, well, that guy was the funny one. <laughs> No, but I think there's there's a reason because there's a, a lot of people will be sitting and writing comedy, mm. and then I I still don't like the idea. I have gotten up on stage; you've seen me give it a go. Yeah, I don't love the stage part. I I, I like writing stories. I like mm. the writing thing, but that difference between the person that will sit there and write material and the one who actually gets up and performs it. Yeah, there's and enjoys that performance side of things. Do you enjoy the performance side? Love it, love oh, it. Yeah. yeah, love it so much. It's it's my favorite thing to do. Is the performance side of it? <laughs> is, is that when you're talking to the audience or just hearing their feedback or what? What part? Why? Just uh, just getting just getting on stage and just doing it. Uh, I why specifically? Uh, I, I mean, even all of it, like whether it's bad or whether it's good, I don't know. I just love all of it. It's the only there's thing. There's a rush to it? Yeah, there's a rush to it. Oh, yeah, there's a bit of a rush to it. But it's just like, I don't think I've, like, it's the most comfortable I've felt. When I first started doing stand up, having, like, because it, like, you know, during my 20s and stuff, I didn't do it. I just yeah. did, like, um, I'd try writing stories or I'd write short scripts for movies or stuff like that and none of it was kind of like oh yeah this is all right but enough it wasn't until i started stand-up where i was like oh this is this is the thing this is the thing that i've been this fits this makes more sense than anything i've never felt like i've really with whatever creative endeavor i was doing nothing really seemed to fit with what i like with me i was like oh it doesn't quite seem to be what i want where i fit in and then when i started stand-up i was like oh this is it this is the thing yeah i feel i don't i just think i feel more even when it's uncomfortable up there on stage, like I've never, I don't, that's the most comfortable I feel, I think. Wow. Mm. That's interesting because lots of people would approach that as being hugely the most nerve wracking thing to get up mm. on stage and talk, but you're. Oh, it, I, it still can be, but like <laughs> initially it was like I was so, 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 so nervous. So yep. nervous. Um, but once oh, I good, got over you are that. Normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, very much so. Very much so. So unbelievably nervous when I first—I um, don't know for how long, but like for a while. 
Like I used to always, I don't do it anymore, but I used to like, I've got to have at least a pot. If I have a pot, it'll calm yeah. my nerves, <laughs> a pot of beer, that'll calm my nerves before doing it. But I did that probably at least for at least the first year, I reckon. I used to be so nervous doing it. Yeah. But it was there was something about once it starts to go, nervous to get up, but then once you get that first laugh and it kind of goes well, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, you can kind of ease into it and be like, all right, you can have fun. But still always nervous to get up to begin with, for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting to say having that, you have to have a pot. I, I know a lot of comedians who actually... I know comedians who don't drink at all, but I know some yeah. comedians who don't drink well on stage. That's yeah. when they stop. Yeah. And uh, before they get on stage, not just while they're on stage, but the yeah. whole the gig is the sober part of their um, social life. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, yes, everybody would, would say that they'd have a, a beer or two just to settle the nerves, but then you get to a point where you, you don't. You, you don't. Yeah. You'd, yeah, you can get past it. When I first, this is this is probably related to why I didn't, not only did I, when I was 19, couldn't figure out where else to do it, but probably why I didn't pursue it. That, I remember that gig when I was 19, I was like unbelievably nervous, unbelievably yeah. nervous, like shaking backstage just before I went on and did it. And I was just, that was terrifying. And that was probably... By the time when I did it again, when I was 29, like I was still nervous, but I wasn't, I was far more sure of myself a little bit, I guess, just because I was, you know, 10 years older. But when I was, when I first did it, I was just like, it was the most nervous I've ever been for anything, I reckon, that first one when yeah. I was 19. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So that will drag us into the, the career progression you've gone through because 19, you did that raw gig in Sydney mm-hmm. and... Was Wolf as big a deal then as it sort of is now? It was the it was the only thing I knew because it was on TV. They would air it on TV. I remember seeing it. It would be you on, were like, on TV then. No, like no. The whole thing? Oh. oh, the final was the Royal oh, final yeah, yeah. was yeah yeah. Um, and it was like advertised on like Triple J and stuff, and I think they would play clips of it. But I. Yeah, it was the only thing I knew of how to like. You could put in an app, like you submitted an application, or <laughs> and you say oh, I want to be a part of it. And there was nothing else where it was like no other. Like I couldn't figure out how to do it anywhere yeah. else. It was yeah. just a big obvious thing that you could do, and that would you know allow you to do it. This, I think it would have been like two thousand. I reckon that would have been two thousand and three. Yep. Yeah, so it would have been going for maybe like four years or something. Oh wow. Mm. It's become a big thing, but then mm. it was ten years. So from there, it was another ten years before you. Before you had I ever tried go. it again, yeah, yeah. And, and where was that next gig? Where, where... Um, the next gig was I was living in Ballarat at the time. I'd gone through a big breakup, obviously. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's why you go to Ballarat. They don't have to <laughs> say that. Um, <laughs> Quiet Castle was full of depressed people from breakups. And I, I actually did it. My friend of mine, my friend Rhett who was also in Ballarat at the time, we both were like, let's, we both wanted to start it, start doing it. And um, before we started together, I went on, I went to New Zealand and I went to Auckland for a week and I did two gigs when I was in Auckland. I did, my first gig was at the Classic in Auckland, um, which was great. And uh, it's a great venue, great gig. And it was, and was like, that an open mic or how did you? It was like a, um, yeah, it was like a new new acts or new material night on their Monday nights that they had. That was, and again, it was the same thing where I just was trying to figure out how to get on at any gig 
Yeah. And that one had a clear, you send an email and you can get on. And I was like, I really in that mode of like, I'd been in a six year relationship, I'd broken up and I was just kind of like, fuck it, just do whatever, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to yeah, go yeah. to New Zealand for a week. I don't care. Like, I'm just going to try this. And I really didn't want anyone I know to see me do it in case I was bad. So, <laughs> so there's, there was the only place where I'm like, well, I can guarantee no one I know will ever, <laughs> no one will ever know will see me do this. So, so I just, yeah, I went to, I just sent an email, booked it in. Uh, flew over and uh, I was there for oh, a week. Oh, what, the whole flight was about doing the gig? Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, I, I spent a week in Auckland having a holiday, but it was to do that. That was the reason to do it. That was why wow. I had, a, I had a, booked a holiday around it. Please tell me you did like the gig first and then had the rest of the week to relax. Um, yeah, the gig was on, I think I must have got there. I think I got there on the Monday. It was on the Monday. And then I had another gig on the Wednesday. And then I was gone by, I think I was gone by the Saturday. Cool. But, but yeah, it was just a week there. And it was, and I'm so glad I did because it was great. It was like 80 people, I think. Oh, wow. It was like, it was a big gig. It was at the club and they were super friendly and very generous. And um, yeah, it was, I remember having, coming away from it thinking, fuck, I wish someone I knew saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's but what you said about the uh, club being friendly and generous. I, yeah. I, well, my experience is that most people at comedy gigs, who, and particularly who run them, are mm. like it, it, it. You you are at you 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 feel so nervous and scared, but people are so appreciative that you're giving it a go. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's a very supportive sort of environment for that. Yeah, and I feel like it, it's similar to when you get like a supportive bigger crowd it definitely gives you that boost that when you're brand new you really need that kind of that confirmation that you are right to give it a go oh good you know so like i feel like sometimes if you're doing there's a lot of at the moment there's a lot of people would do their first gig at a gig that's got like four people in it and probably be pretty pretty brutal yeah and they won't necessarily get that little confirmation of like hey yeah it's all right to give this a go my second gig that week was um, was a smaller gig and did not go as well, but it didn't, <laughs> it didn't really phase me because the first one had gone. Yeah, it, the first one had gone well in my mind that I was like, "Oh, I, did, did, I don't care." I've got proof now. It's, I just it's not you, it's them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, "Oh, okay, that's all right. That was all right." And but that first one was real good, wasn't it? And I feel like that that you need you need to come back down to earth and figure out like, oh, okay, it's going to take more work to get to a point where you're actually good. But that first kind of bump early on to be like that boost early on to be like, yeah, no, you're doing the, this is a good idea that you're you're doing this. You just need one of them early, I think, and then reality for the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the things. Did you have that actually with Raw? Was it a big crowd there? Yeah, Raw was. Um, yeah, Raw was a big crowd too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the first one, the initial one, in, when yeah. I was nineteen. Yeah, and I bombed. I bombed so bad. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Man. No, 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 no. Very, very deserved too. Like I, it was um, yeah, very much deserved too. When I was not, that that set when I was nineteen was just like, yeah, uh, really deserved to bomb. <laughs> well, we won't focus too much on that. I'm, I'm interested in when you got back to um, Ballarat, and so mm-hmm. you and your mate was it Rhett? Yeah, was... Rhett. You're both going to try and set up comedy there, or were you just looking for gigs? We were um, we were booking in gigs um, in Melbourne. So we what we'd do at the time because it was two of us, we would just uh, divvy up 
the rooms that we we found the big list of I think it was like probably on Melbourne Comedy Rooms Hub or just like lists online of open mics and gigs in Melbourne and we just divvied them up between us and sent emails or sent messages to people and being like, hey, we're two comedians from Ballarat who want to give it a go. Would we be able to book in a spot? And so it was just like we're both going to come down together. Yep. Um, and so we did that for um, a few gigs and we booked them in there. But when we also we also kind of started out, we also met um, Beth Lamont who runs uh, Ballarat Cat in yep. Ballarat. And she was starting Ballarat Cat around that time in 2013. Um, and this was like, that because that's when we started. And we, she ran an open mic one time in Ballarat and then we took over that open mic. So in that first year when we were traveling, we were traveling when we could to um, gigs in Melbourne, but we also then started up a monthly open mic in Ballarat where we'd give local acts a spot and then also um, we'd book in some Melbourne acts to come down and do longer spots as well. Ah, so you, that did, did you pay the Melbourne acts or was it just the extra we, uh, Unfortunately, we did <laughs> We did not. <laughs> in, in hindsight, because we didn't take any, we didn't do ticketed. In hindsight, it's like, oh, that show should have been ticketed. We should have paid the Melbourne acts and... Um, it, it, we should have done it properly, but we were just like, oh, yeah, cool. We'll just run it on donations. It'll just be a free room in Ballarat. And the, the people we booked were just like open micers in their first year as well who would come down. And we Mates we knew from doing some gigs that we'd done up in yeah. Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, sometimes we feel that because uh, I'm based in Bendigo and we would drive down to Melbourne and sometimes people would come up just to for the spot, you know. But yeah. It's... Um, it isn't as much fun to do the two-hour drive as opposed to the one-and-a-half-hour drive. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> but it sounds good if, if you and uh, Rhett were uh, teaming up driving down to Melbourne because the solo drives can be nightmarish. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, so we're doing that, I think, probably for the first first six months from when I started. Yep. And I think we ran that gig, um, yeah, I think that ran for a year, so monthly for a year. So you're doing stand-up. You're running a, a, a spot in Bendigo, uh, in Ballarat, sorry. Yeah. you practicing material? Were you, did you feel you were getting your material better in terms of uh, writing or better in terms of delivery? I suppose both. But how did yep. you feel that first year really developed? Um, I felt like one of the benefits I think we had, or I really, uh, when I first first started, before I did that first gig, even the one in Auckland, me and Rhett had been writing together, just like running ideas back and forth um, to each other. And so we'd kind of, that was good to have just a filter of being like, nah, <laughs> somebody else being like, oh no, that's not funny. So that first set that I had. <laughs> the first no, set, that's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't say that out loud again. <laughs> so I felt like that first set I had, um, I had a joke in that set that um, I still, like, I only a couple of years ago, I stopped doing, like, I was doing it for, um, I was doing it forever, one of the jokes. Like, I did it for a little bit after when I first started, but it was a joke that in that very first set that I've used for years, and or at least a version of that joke. Yeah. Um, and I think, so, so it started by having somebody to bounce off and be like, all right, let's write with and be honest with, he was so honest with me about whether a joke was good or not, that, that it was incredibly helpful for 
by the time I got to a point where I was saying in front of other people that it was like, oh, this is going all right. And then, oh, yeah, I felt over that year, that first year of, because I just, once I started, I just got so um, addicted to, I just wanted to do every, I just wanted to do every gig. Yeah. I was just like, how do I get more gigs? How can yeah. I just get more gigs? And it was just like, just every, I was working night shift at the time on like, uh, so there were some nights that I couldn't do, but the rest of the time I'm like, just fill it. How could I get another gig? What can I, <laughs> how can I get up? And so over that first year, I mean, I loved it. And I also, I also got to go to, um, I also went to Canada for um, uh, two, three months in the middle of that first year as well. And I went over there and they have, their open mic scene was like, I just got up, a, I, got, I was able to get up a lot in Toronto and they were all those gigs were pretty terrible and so then i came back and my threshold for how bad a gig could get was now quite high <laughs> so, <laughs> so were they, were they terrible yeah. in terms of you or the crowd or what was uh the crowd they were like there was a gig that I, you could get up every single monday everybody got on the show ran from 10 p.m until or at 10 p.m to 3 a.m or oh, until God. they ran out of comedians oh, and i got God. up one night at it was like two 2.16 a.m. There were six other comedians in the crowd, like maybe two audience members. They were exhausted and yeah. I got on stage and then I, uh, and then like it was mostly just like there were a lot of open mics and there was nobody at those shows. Um, and they were in dank basements. And <laughs> most of the shows I did there were like bad in terms of like the show itself was just like there's not a lot of people here. This show yeah. isn't great. And so then when I came back to, to Melbourne, all I thought was like, I just got obsessed with the idea of how often they were getting up on stage. Like the people in Toronto were getting up. I met a dude there. His name was Merv Hartland, who, very funny guy. He just moved to Toronto from, uh, I think it was like Halifax or something. He'd moved there. And in that first week he was there, he'd gotten up eight times in that week. And I was obsessed with it because that's all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was get on stage. I was obsessed with how he got up eight times in a week. Whereas back in Melbourne, I'd been getting up like once a week. And I was like, oh, oh what? I was like, okay, well, I just got to get up. If he's getting up this much, there are comedians that are getting this much stage time elsewhere in the world while we're back in Melbourne doing it once a week, you know. Yeah. So I, then I became really obsessed with like, oh, I've just got to, I've got to get up as often as I can. So once I came back from Toronto, it was just like, just get as much stage time as I can. And all of these gigs, like every gig in Melbourne was better than the best gig I did in Toronto. So, <laughs> so I, that's what, like, I'll do that's why I just did any gig. Like I don't yeah. care. Like it's, it's better than what people elsewhere are having to do at the open mic level. So yeah. it doesn't matter to me that it's like, Oh, there's only four people. Here. It's like, there's four. Great. Do it to four. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's very true. Cause I think when you do do a few gigs and you get around, you do just appreciate the ones that you have. <laughs> yes. Not, it doesn't matter so much if there's 200 people or if there's four people, as long as you, you've got, something it's, it can be fun yeah yeah exactly but so you you were doing it for like a year you you created an open mic in, mm -hmm. in your, where your hometown had become ballarat mm -hmm. you've been driving down to melbourne you went to toronto you, mm -hmm. you got you were obsessed with getting up more mm -hmm. is that what meant i've got to move i've got to move out of ballarat is that um yes yeah it was i because i did my first comedy festival um, I think my first comedy festival where I participated in it was 2014. I did a split show 
and I was still living in Ballarat at the time. And I was um, friends of mine got an Airbnb who were coming from the States and I stayed with them at that festival. And I was just like, well, <laughs> I can't be getting an Airbnb in the city <laughs> when I'm living in Ballarat, you know, <laughs> I yeah. just was like, uh, uh, yeah. And it was after that festival that I moved um, in 2014. So I think I've been doing it a year, year and a half before I moved yeah. to Melbourne, but it was, it was moved to Melbourne to do comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want to be uh, pry open the door too much, but I, you're not really earning a living off comedy at that stage, I guess. No, no, um, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was, I, and it was even with the job because I, I was working at um, Ambulance Victoria at the time at the IT help desk, and like that was the. It was also it was a pay cut as well because I then. The job I got, the first job I had in Melbourne was this terrible call center. But it went from I went from like IT support to just regular call center work. And regular call center work doesn't pay as much as IT support. And so it was also like, hey, look, it's a pay cut and the job is worse. <laughs> um, but I now don't have to travel an hour and a half both ways to do comedy anymore. And that's that was that was the whole focus was just like, I just want to get up as often as I can. And this helped me be able to do that because it's a worse job, but this isn't the point. And I was only at that job for a year anyway. And then, um, yeah, quit that job. And <laughs> my, my pattern for the first three years I was in Melbourne was do it, have a day job until March, quit it for the comedy festival, get a new job, <laughs> get a new job in uh, May and then quit it for the comedy festival. <laughs> I did that for three years. <laughs> oh, but in that three years, because I know, were you running Voltaire's? Um, yeah, we did ran. Did you start that or was that already a going gig? Voltaire you... was a gig that we did, uh, that me and Luca Muller and um, Ferdy Billamoria and Murphy McLaughlin and Blake Freeman and a whole bunch of us, when we first started, that was a gig in around 2013. And I think it ended in, I think it ended in 2013 2014 it wrapped up but it was just like the most fun loosest gig and it was just like a really great like love we loved doing it and then it went away and we missed it and so yeah. around 20 i think it was like 2015 end of 2015 um we were said we should bring that back let's bring back that gig there's nothing on sundays there let's bring it back so we brought it back yeah in 2015 but before that we'd also run um luca and blake freeman and a guy named simon coming we ran a gig at comedy at the wild which is another open mic that I think we started. I reckon that would have started 2014 when I first moved to Melbourne. Oh, the wild. I remember that. Yes. Great gig. Institution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. That one's, that one's no longer going. But uh, no. yeah, the Club Voltaire, it's still, yeah. uh, that's got, is it three nights now? Is it, is it two? Yeah, there's, um, we, uh, I just run the, the Sunday nights at Club Voltaire and, they, we were running, we started the Friday night open mic, but that's still going now. With um, yep. And there was a Wednesday night gig there as well, but that's, I think that's wrapped up now. But there is other, there's always, there's other comedy and stuff on there now too. Well, that's the thing. So the, when you move to Melbourne, I mean, apart from the fact that you got involved in starting up another gig once again, yeah. there's other options. You were able to gig like all over town. Yeah. Yeah, it just meant that like that uh, absolute exhaustion of having the travel time was just absolutely yeah. killer after a while, and um, yeah, it was just now I don't have to worry about oh cool like 
I'm driving home <laughs> for an hour and a half, like yeah. hitting that hitting that highway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it the, helped with that for the sure. Late night McDonald's and the yeah, hitting that yeah, hitting that same McDonald's every single night because <laughs> <laughs> you've earned a treat if you've done well, or you deserve a treat if you've done. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so you got your car full of wrappers and all that kind of stuff <laughs> that you got to clean yeah. up. <laughs> Yeah. Encampment. What did what uh, for anyone who is doing gigs out regional? Yep. What what skills do you think really helped in like what you learnt in Ballarat to to bring to Melbourne when you when you started to set up gigs? Whether or not it was the production side of thing, or whether or not it was writing, or or what? Um, I think weirdly one of the things that. Um, I've, I've talked to Jonathan Schuster about this because he started when he was in Geelong. And I think one of the things that did help was um, you, if you, whenever I would drive to Melbourne and do a gig in Melbourne and do badly at that gig, yeah. <laughs> you've got an hour and a half on the drive home to reflect on it and, um, and, and genuinely go, I don't let that happen again. <laughs> figure out like really think about like what happened, what went wrong in that set. And um, I I do think that it was uh, that, that having to spend so much time with that bomb whenever I did do poorly, it really helped accelerate the process of, all right, you've got to get to a competent level. You've got to, you can't let this keep happening. (laughs) You can't let that happen again next time you're driving because you're driving so far, you can't do it to drive and bomb. (laughs) <laughs> you have to figure out how to do all right and i and i think that genuinely that was like <laughs> that genuinely was very helpful i think in terms of um forcing me to um to be like all right you got to be better what did than you that. pick up on then what 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 kind of things did you say okay let's never do that again what i assume rather than just jokes was there some sort of it was all like um uh, stage present stuff a game that Oh, game, but an, like a um, what is it called? Like a uh, a thing that Rhett and I, when we would when we first started, we would do on the drive home with each other, and then once I was doing it, once Rhett stopped and I was doing it on my own, is a thing that I still would do on the drive because we got so much time. It would be go through the show, and uh, it was who is best on, and what did you like about their performance? What was good oh, yeah. about their performance? What were yeah. they doing that you like? Oh, I wish I could do that. And then you go, oh, they were just really confident. The way they delivered jokes was great. They just really owned that stage and they weren't afraid of the audience or whatever. And you go through whoever was best on and then you go, all right, who else, who's second best on? What did you like about their jokes? Like, what was it? And like, who was worst on? And then you go, all right, what did they, how did they fuck up? And then you go and you think about like, oh yeah, they were just too timid or they were like, they weren't standing in the light or they, they kind of, you know, they mumbled over a punchline and then when the audience, they could, the audience couldn't really hear it and then they got mad at the audience because the audience didn't laugh but the audience didn't hear it. So it was really just going through. <laughs> I've seen all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, so it was just going through the show of what we'd seen and all the other comedians and going, all right, what did we see? What do we want to try and who did we like and what would we like to try and be able to do and what did we feel about or what did I feel about my own set? What could I change? And so it's like listening back to a set. Um, I would, I'd listen back to every gig and I would um, just like, what can I, why didn't it work? Why didn't you, and you can often hear it just in a set and be like, why yeah, did that joke what, not work? What you said earlier that was interesting about 
the stage presence of the mm-hmm. people that you liked. Yeah. And that's not, not so much of the, um, as much as we care about what we say and how we say it, yeah. that presentation aspect, yeah, that's a hard thing to, um, I guess that's a hard thing to mimic in a way. That's, that's more confidence than it is something that you can just yeah, totally. pretend to be. Yeah, I think that, I think that the, um, yeah, just that kind of, that calmness on stage is actually, is actually probably, <laughs> is weirdly, especially early on, uh, um, just as beneficial, if not more beneficial than a really good joke. Yeah. Um, where it's like, if you see a performer who is just so, com- who's comfortable, you relax, like the audience just relaxes yeah. and it doesn't really matter. And then if their jokes aren't good, they, they're not going to laugh, but they're like, at least I don't feel uncomfortable watching this person. Yeah. Um, whereas if you watch somebody who, even if their jokes are good, if they're, they're visibly nervous or they're like umming and ahhing or whatever, uh, you, you, the audience is just like, they're tense and they can't get to the point where they're going to be able to listen properly because they're worried about, they just feel, they, they either feel bad for the person and just can't get past it. So that would be. Sometimes that, there's that nervous energy that does work, but then yes. and that, that, that's, that's a rare thing. That seems to be like a lightning bolt that the nervous energy works with the audience. Yeah. And then it's, it and, that's, and that can sometimes be, even that can be, because I remember when I first started was um, when I remember seeing uh, Luke McGregor early on. This was before. Um, I think his his debut show was in 2013. So I remember seeing him at a lot of gigs right before his debut and when he really took off. And he had that because he was he was so funny and his nervous energy was this thing where it's like when it worked, it was the the best thing. And when it didn't work, it was just like everyone was like, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. This guy's really nervous. Whereas when it worked, it was like this is so funny. But when it's that it's that thing of like if you can harness it and if you can control it, it is it is great. But I think that that confidence stuff is yeah, it's just that confidence in being comfortable. That's the, especially early on is the, is probably the trick to get you past <laughs> that, that first level of like, all right, your jokes, it is important that the jokes are funny. Jokes being funny is, is key, but just being comfortable is also is such a step up. Well, it is. I remember uh, I, you've reminded me that we chatted about this a, a few years ago mm. um, and one thing we talked about with there's always the question of how do you manage a, a, a bomb or when when somebody's been not so good on the stage before you and mm-hmm. how do you take um, how do you negate that situation mm-hmm. and your answer was about being confident on stage it was you it's, that's your time on stage you don't worry about what's happened before you mm-hmm. and the audience comes along with you for your ride yeah almost immediately which seems like I mean, it makes perfect sense, but it seems really hard to do because it's like, come along for my ride now. Let's ignore what's just happened. It's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, it is that element of like, um, but maybe it's that case of like, um, you kind of, I remember early on doing gigs at like the Exford and stuff and the Exford was, um, would often be pretty brutal and you'd yeah. watch people bomb after bomb after bomb. And every time I would always have, if I was on late, I'd always have in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the one who's going to get them. <laughs> yeah. And and sometimes you would, and you'd feel like a, a hero, 
killing to 12 people but <laughs> um or doing fine to 12 people rather um but oftentimes you wouldn't and you'd be like yeah fuck well the night was just fucked you know <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's it is that that if you've watched the person in front of you bomb it's not that the night is bad it's just like well that person just had a rough one and the yeah. audience will be absolutely relieved to see anybody else on stage now if you can come on and yeah own it own that space is in it's like well for, look, who even forget we're not even thinking about that person anymore <laughs> like yeah. it's now just yeah it is it's now your time it's now your your show for that five minutes um but yeah it's just that i guess it's that sort of like i, I mean that but that belief stuff is the same as the confidence stuff and it's same as that on stage presence thing it's just like yeah. if you just like the belief is key <laughs> Yeah, 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 and it's, and it's also and it's very hard to build up, and you can certainly lose it if you, you're on a bad run and you're having bad gigs, and you're like, "Fuck, I've had a bad week of sh- shocking gigs," and you can really get the yips and stuff. But oh yeah, I, that's the hardest thing for me post COVID is the idea of getting back up and relearning how to talk to the audience yeah. because so much of, it in, of lockdown was emptiness. Yep. And you're just like, oh, how do I, how do I even address a crowd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But you've you've got a plan, fingers crossed. To you've done your gigs in Melbourne. I mean, we should. I won't brush over it. So you you did Melbourne Comedy Festival a few times. Yep. And when, how how long were you doing double acts before you or, or um, teaming up with other people before you did a solo show? Um, I only did one. I should have, in hindsight, I wish I'd done more. I wish I hadn't done the solo. I did a solo show very early and I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd properly waited. Why is that? Uh, it, I was way too, it, it wasn't very, it was fine. Like it was fine, but I was uh, too inexperienced and I just didn't have the amount of material that I needed to fill the, um, to fill the time. And uh, did you think you have, or did you find out while you're on stage that you didn't? I found out through the run. So <laughs> I, did, I did a half run of that first show, and I was probably like two and a half years into comedy, and which I think is is very very new to be doing a solo show, even if it's forty five minutes. But um, and it, it is it is a good experience. But in hindsight, I wish I had waited probably another, to be honest, at least another three years. Um, but it was uh, the ner- I was so nervous for those shows. I was so yeah. nervous for those shows, and um, that in itself was probably like a sign that it's like oh, I don't think I'm ready because I'd only done one split show beforehand. I'd only done a a, a three person split show, and I probably given another uh, <laughs> you know another lifetime <laughs> um, do do more split shows, maybe another two split shows or yeah. you know delay the start of that first one even in another year or something but well, but it's you know you add it up it sounds what you're saying sounds very common a lot of people i've spoken to will say somewhere around four four or five years is where they start feeling like they've got yeah because you do it is a, the other thing about it is also like um it's not just oh i need the material for that first show it's just like well you also need the material for the next show if you do the first show after if you do the first show after two and a half years that means you're doing the second show after a year like it's another year is till the next one um so i did i've done i've done five now five solo shows i've had two after i started i did two 
the year off to COVID year, year off this last one. But in between that, I know that you've also been gigging over in Edinburgh because mm-hmm. I was in Edinburgh just That's right. mostly as a tourist. <laughs> and I think I just bumped into you and Knox and uh, Luca Muller. I thought, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> when, when did going across to Edinburgh start? Was that chasing even more gigs or what was the goal there? Yeah, well, we would talk to um, Aidan uh, Jones would had done it for because uh, he'd been, he'd lived in the UK for a bit, and so he'd been doing Edinburgh for a few years, and we were just we'd been doing other festivals. We'd done uh, Adam, Luca, and I had done uh, we'd done Perth together, we'd done New, New Zealand Fringe, and we'd done Adelaide Fringe. We're like, well, let's do Edinburgh as well, and um, so we went over and did a, a split show in Edinburgh, and and I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> you've you've seen how big it is. Oh and, man, it's a behemoth. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing for us was like, uh, not it was also like yeah you're and I mean the number of gigs that you can do even as like a as a new act that nobody knows <laughs> over there you can do so many gigs that it really felt like it was just such an it was such an incredible experience getting to do so many shows and seeing so much new stuff and seeing so many comedians and seeing such a huge comedy yeah. world that has no idea about the comedy world you've come from yeah, <laughs> that doesn't even know it exists, which is pretty refreshing, but also quite liberating in terms of you can just oh. do whatever. Like it genuinely doesn't really matter because no one knows who you are. Well, that was the fun thing. So I, I, I'm not going to say that I am an Edinburgh comedian, but I got up, I did do a spot in Edinburgh. So, you know, anybody can get up and do a yeah. spot and I got some laughs. I wasn't, Best on the ground by any means, but I got and somebody after the set said, "Hey, you did well," which is really great. And I was yeah. thinking, well, I've come across from a whole different country and telling the same silly jokes, and people still responding to it. This is yeah, yeah. It, it is like you said, liberating. It, you, you do feel like, oh, I can actually almost do this anywhere. Yes, yeah, totally. And it, yeah, it's that feeling of like, oh. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> um, and it, we we would do it. Um, it was great to do it in a year because it's like because you do you do it. We would just, um, especially that second year we went over, we just absolutely stacked the number of gigs that we were doing. I just remember doing, I did an insane number of gigs that second year. But um, it's a huge skills upgrade in terms of. You, you really you get to play to bigger audiences or like bigger audiences over and over again or even just like rougher audiences than you get here. Like I didn't I didn't get heckled here as much as I got heckled. I got heckled there way more. I reckon I got heckled more there in a month than I reckon I would have been three years. In it, probably ever, I think possibly <laughs> in Australia. And so it's just like you're just getting a skills upgrade because you're just doing stuff that you don't really get an opportunity. When you say heckled, were they, were they on side with you and just trying to have a conversation while you were trying oh, to deliver material? Or they were they... all sorts, but they that was the only... I don't really think I've had many... Oh, I've had a couple in Australia of people who didn't like it or just wanted to have a go at me. <laughs> you know, like, and, and that was, it was people making fun of you or people having a go at your material or having a go at you. That was, yeah, I had that a few times over there. So they had a preconceived notion that they were going to be an annoying from the start. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, there was also that, like, really annoying crowds that were annoying and were trying to be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> like, crowd, there was one show that we did uh, that I will we'll remember forever. 
but um, the act who is on before me, and this is this is a great example of this is in Australia. No, this is in Edinburgh. This is in this Edinburgh. Is Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the first year we were over there. This is a good example of the you can't think about how the act before is going. You can see what's happening in the room, and you can see what the audience is like, but the act before you is not you. Um, there was this guy who was on whose name was Simon, and the crowd just for some reason, just got hooked on his name. And there was probably like 40 people there and they just kept chanting Simon. Simon? Yeah, Simon, Simon. <laughs> but he's trying to talk and he's just like, you're not, letting, you're not letting me do a joke. You're not letting me do it. Start a joke. And they'd be like, Simon, Simon. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, you've got, to, you've, got to let me, you've got to let me do a joke. You've got to let me, I can't do any, like, it was really kind of freaking out about it. And then they kind of just stopped for a little bit. And he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to do the, I'm going to do a joke. And he started the joke and then they just kicked right back into it. (laughs) That's timing. (laughs) Yeah. And they they were, um, and and that was the thing, like the crowd was just loving it because they're just, just like killing this guy's guy. (laughs) This guy's having a terrible time. But then it was that thing of like, well, I've got to go on next. They're doing this to this guy. I have to go on next. And I was, I was quite lucky in that I got on and some of the group of guys, were Australians who was kind of leading the who <laughs> the instigators and the chant and stuff. And I'd seen them at that gig the night before. And I just talked to them about it, how oh, I saw you guys the night before. They'd seen me at that gig. I just remember just talking to them about like, you guys still here kind of making fun of them. And then maybe, I think I got like a couple of jokes out and then I was just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and then Taco uh, Aiden Jones was on after me. And then he crowd surfed with them. Oh and wow! Then, <laughs> and then the guy who was on after him was like, by the time they got to him, because yeah, I remember Aiden had a great, great set, and then crowd surfed, and then the guy after him, they wouldn't, they started, decided to start singing, <laughs> and so the crowd were just singing the entire time he was on stage, and he was trying to control it by getting them to sing about, I oh, know you can sing it, sing it, sing this song, and try to. He goes, all right. You sing this song with me, and they just wouldn't. They would just whatever. <laughs> the same thing where they just go back to singing, um, "I love you, baby," and if it's quite all right, they just kept doing it to him, and it was just like, "You don't." That doesn't happen in Australia. <laughs> you, that's a specific like to go to experience a gig like that. It's just like, yeah, that's got to be a rowdy late night drunken edinburgh crowd you know yeah, i was gonna say is, it, is, is that like a soccer crowd or is that just an edinburgh fringe crowd who sees so many shows like they know the tricks of the trade as much as the the people on stage and so they're that they're was, trying to create their own show i guess yeah i think it was that show was um i think it was probably i think it was a one a around one a.m yeah so it was like i was gonna ask if that was a two a.m sort of thing yeah yeah it's <laughs> really late the group of the Australian guys had just been there drinking. They just stayed at that pub. Like they woke up the next day, gone back to that same pub. <laughs> it was a free show. So it was just like, here's a late night show. They late night shows have a bit of a, you know, rowdy reputation. Like yeah. they love being, it was just like this group, that weird group think of, they weren't trying to all do it together, but it just became this thing where it's just like, yeah, great. We can just do this together. Like <laughs> mess with these guys together. <laughs> Yeah. Did did you have to change any material? Do you change material for that kind of situation? Um, I can't remember what I did. I think that year I was doing. Um, uh, uh, what was I doing? I just had some kind of like, oh, this is a crazy story sort of material rather than jokes. I was doing. I think I was doing more anecdote sort of stuff for that one. Oh. Yeah. 
I was just imagining that they wouldn't give you much space to tell a story. I thought they would just if, if it wasn't punchy, they'd lose interest. Their yeah. Brains wouldn't, wouldn't if a pun might be too hard to pick up. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. I, I can't really remember the exact set that I did, but I think I just was just did a lot of crowd work at the start. And then I had one joke yeah. about Americans, which I was doing a lot over there, which I liked. Uh, a quick joke about Americans. And I think I had another couple of kind of like. Um, and so you run them yeah. over to, enough for them to like give you some. Yeah, I'm not saying I had a good job. set, but I had a much better set than Simon. <laughs> <laughs> and also, and that was the other thing of what, and it was that direct thing of just watching him um, freak out. And because he freaked out, they yeah. knew they won. Smelt blood. Yeah, and they were just like, we're never going to let this guy tell a joke because we've already done this. And it was that was also a good lesson in for me coming on right after him being like, all right, well, you can't let him do that. Whatever yeah. you can't be like, because yeah, at one point he's just like talking to the booker. He's like, oh, I, I, the host. He's like, oh, what do you want me to do? I can't do it. I can't do a joke. And it's just like, what you you can't do that. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's something I realised too. Personally, don't get so hung up on your jokes. Yeah, that, even just making it through is the solution for a gig like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sur- yeah. Survive it and be like, yeah, great. And then you leave that and then the lesson from that is like okay cool well I, I can have a set or an all right set there or get off stage fine there and yeah. continue to exist yeah. and that's you know i mean personally if i was simon i'd be going get off stage saying they chanted my name the whole way through <laughs> that's not what he did when he got off stage he went fuck <laughs> <laughs> And you want to go across into this environment full time? I have thought about that. <laughs> so you're, you're you're trying to go down a path of, of moving across is specifically to London or just anywhere over in the UK? Uh, specifically because, to London, yeah. Hopefully, is that because of all the gigs you can do there? Is yeah, they've a, got is um, a career path, or is this a? Yeah, yeah, because they've got so many gigs and they've got so many comedy clubs, and they just have more. It's again, it's that just chasing more gigs and. Um, you know, I've been here, been doing it here for nearly 10 years and there's more different gigs that I haven't done Yeah, <laughs> there. And there's just, there's just like, seems to be a lot of, um, just a lot more opportunity to do more stuff and different stuff and learn more skills and just get the same as like how Edinburgh is like, oh, this is a great skills upgrade. Cause you get to learn stuff that you've never learned before. It's the same thing where it's just like, well, I'll, I'll have to learn, um, yeah, a whole bunch of new skills over there, which will be which will be great, which is what exactly what I you know want. I suppose that's the thing when you're talking about skills. You, it sounds like you're just watching other people and seeing what to do and not to do. But is mm. there? It, it, that seems like a, that should. It sounds like that should be a finite resource. <laughs> you make it sound like it's never ending. Yes, I think so. I think it's with each with each gig. This is how I see it. With each gig that that I do, it's like I'll do um, the gigs that I do tonight. I'll do two gigs tonight, and um, everything that I've every gig that I've ever done, every time I've stepped on stage, every audience I've ever stood in front of, it's like they're there somewhere in the back of your mind, whether you're thinking about them consciously or not. You've you're aware of okay, if this audience responds in this way. Uh, that means this, you know, like if I get up and I do a, a joke that I know always works and it doesn't work, you're like, okay, this audience, you, you know, it's all every le- every time you get on stage is another 
there's another lesson and you can learn something new from it. And I think that that's putting myself in new environments, new gigs in front of different audiences to what I'm normally performed to. That's where I, that's the skills I'm talking about where it's just like, I get to find out what I need to do to do, to be able to be good enough to do a 20 minute set at a comedy club in London or whatever. Oh yeah. So it's but just it does like, yeah, building sound like that you're, you're learning the, um, reading the room faster and faster. Yeah. Cause I think that, yeah, it's all just like taking the lessons from the previous gigs that you've done. That's like, that's why I do the bad, like you do all the bad ones so that if you get a, a good one that's a little rough, you're like, that's all right. I've done a much worse gig than that. <laughs> I know. I like, I know how to deal with this. <laughs> I've been in worse situations. I've been in tougher situations than this one. And Do you so know what the gigs yeah. are like in, in London? Have you done, when you went across to Edinburgh, did you sneak down? And Yeah, I was, I was in um, London for uh, a week and I checked out some gigs there and they they seem like they seem good. They seem friendly and um, they were fun. And uh, I mean, it's kind of the same as like everywhere. <laughs> yeah. In a way, like it's just like, oh, it'll just be new experiences and new spaces and some of them will be bigger and there'll be more, hopefully more. Uh, more gigs and stuff um but it's the same as like in toronto and the same as in New Zealand. hopefully it's not the same as hopefully it's not the same as in toronto, <laughs> but it's the same, the same as like just the gigs everywhere it's just like all right cool you get to f- figure out the rhythms of different uh and different uh groups of people now yeah yeah fingers crossed but you you still um come back to australia maybe once a year for the festival yeah i, I think i'm i'm even if I even if I, I don't get to go, I'm, I'm thinking of doing the festival every second year anyway. Yeah, yeah, just to give that 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 same time of like just needs more time to uh, write and develop that material so it gets up to a better. So rather than having to just be on that that uh, churn every single year of like here's another hour, <laughs> <laughs> is this all right? It's fine, <laughs> you know. Well, that was the beautiful thing. I I, I people in uh, I've heard. People who do new shows every year in Edinburgh, yeah, spend their year with all the gigs they've got around London and England to uh, to work that material. So hopefully, in the two years gap, you'll have a a perfect show. <laughs> oh, that's terrible! I'm not going to hang you out to dry like that. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> that's the solution. Fingers crossed for the perfect show. <laughs> All right, mate. I'm not going to leave you on that, but I think I'm going to wind up. Name someone you're excited to see. If if we're going to – or club. Here we go. We'll finish on this. For people who are coming to um, Melbourne, regional Victoria, there's plenty of great regional gigs, um, but for those open micers in regional Victoria who want to come down to a gig in Melbourne – they might not all exist in a year's time because that's the nature of open mic, but is yeah. there one or two that you do recommend just coming down to look at and seeing what? Um, I reckon if you're going to come watch are. a show, uh, yeah. Comedy Republic's a great one to come and watch. Um, that's always a great, those shows are always red hot and they're great fun to watch. Um, uh, as for doing shows, hmm. <laughs> Was the uh, apparently that Friday one's pretty good if you can get that double on a Friday if you come from regional Victoria and you can get the double of doing um, I think it's Comedy Cellars in St Kilda and also Fresh Friday Comedy at Club Voltaire if you can figure out a way to do both of those gigs in the same night that'd be a good one 
on um, for a region if you're coming from regional Victoria into the city, if you can line up the double of doing those in the same night, um, that's probably a that's probably a fun way to make the most of. That would be the thing. That was if that would be my thing. If you're coming on a from, Friday night, yeah, yeah, on Friday night. But if you're coming from regional Victoria and to do to come into the city, it would be the double it up. See if you yeah. can do two. Even if one of them's bad, just try and do the extra one. If you're making the drive, you may as well try and get up somewhere else as well. Beautiful. Mm. Great advice. Thank you very much, Pete Jones. Thank you so much for I'll having me. I'll catch you at the gigs. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member. Visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris Ha. And remember, as E.B. and Catherine White wrote, humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. <laughs>